and welcome to Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. It's fall, and I am so happy because it is my absolute favorite time of year. I love the light during the fall. I love that it's cooling down a little bit, although we're having a secondary heat wave in Los Angeles, but at least from 6 a.m. to maybe 8 a.m., it feels like fall, and then it goes away. And all the pumpkins are out, and orange is my favorite color, so I am very happy about the current situation. I have some brief chicken news, of course. Um, One of our chickens fell a little ill, or at least I thought she had fallen ill. We have a bantam silky chicken, appropriately named Silky. Um, And if you haven't seen a silky chicken before, they look like a Muppet, like an actual Muppet, like marionette strings should be attached to her. She's the most ridiculous looking chicken, but we hatched her And I don't even know how she sees because she has so many feathers covering her entire body. I will post a photo up on Instagram at Jennifer Calogeris so you can see her in her glorious ridiculousness. And the other day, she was looking a little mucusy in the beak. She like opened her mouth and you could see some mucus and it was pretty disgusting. So of course, I thought she was dying. And I took her to our local vet who sees our dog. They also have an exotic animal vet there who sees chickens. And my 13-year-old and I arrived. We put her in the dog carrier and brought her into the waiting room with the other dogs. And she was bagawking her way through the waiting room. And everyone was looking at us like we were crazy. And the receptionist called us over and started yelling at us and telling us that we couldn't be in there. What are we doing? And they said, didn't someone call you and tell you about the chicken protocol? And I said, no. No one told us about the chicken protocol. That's why we're here. And he told me I had to go back to my car, drive up to the rooftop, and just wait in my car. Do not leave my car. So we drove up to the roof, which is sort of the lounge area for all the vets and vet techs. And they have a smoking area and some lounge chairs. And we sat in the car and waited and waited. And then a woman in, I am not kidding, basically a hazmat suit. It was, I think, more of a surgical procedure get up, um, but full scrubs, face masks, gloves, came out to the car and had me sign a bunch of paperwork and slip the paperwork into a sealed Ziploc bag. And I tried to give her her pen back and she was like, no, no, it's contaminated. And they took the chicken from the car, examined her, brought her back. And then when I paid with a credit card, they had a smaller Ziploc bag that I had to put my credit card in. So the bottom line is, um, if you are unfamiliar with chicken news, there is a highly contagious disease called Newcastle that's going around for sure California. I don't know about the rest of the country, but there are a lot of strict laws about chickens and chicken care and um, moving chickens, and they're not supposed to cross certain county lines. So um, they are just following their state protocol, which is quite strict. Um, And I guess if you get Newcastle, basically all your chickens have to be euthanized. It's that contagious. But the good news is Silky does not have Newcastle. She doesn't even have anything detectable um, to the vet. So she's back in the coop and wishing her a speedy recovery. She seems fine now. 
I have recently been using the Pomodoro method for getting my creative writing done. I'm not sure if you are familiar with this, but I learned about it at a recent young adult conference that I was speaking at. And um, some of the writers on my panel were mentioning that they find this to be the most effective way to get the most work done. So what it is, is there's a um, there's an app on the phone that I got called, I think it's called Focus Keeper. I, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. And it automatically sets a timer for 25 minutes of focused work. So I will sit and write, not answer emails, not answer my phone, no texting, um, just do some focused work for 25 minutes and then a timer goes off and then I get a five minute break to do whatever I want. And then that repeats again, back to 25 minutes. And each of those 25 minute increments is referred to as a Pomodoro. And once you complete four Pomodoros, you have earned yourself a 25 minute break. And I have found this to be so efficient with my writing. I can get through probably between four and seven Pomodoros a day of really focused writing, and I am getting more done than I ever have in my life. So again, if you are interested in this method, you can just Google it. It's the Pomodoro method. There is a book that goes along with it. I haven't read it. Um, there is a tomato-shaped timer that you can buy. I haven't bought that. I just use the free app on my phone. Something about fall has made me suddenly become a joiner, which is not who I normally am, but things have come through my inbox and I have joined readily. I signed up for a running program to help me train for a 5k. I signed up for an online book club at University of British Columbia, where I received my MFA in creative writing. I signed up for a nonfiction writing course online, and I've even contemplated free water aerobics lessons at my son's school. So if you have an extracurricular activity you'd like me to join, send it my way because I am in a joining mood. And now that I've taken all this time talking about myself, we will have some brief bookish news. The restaurant Waffle House has acquired its very first poet laureate. Georgia Tech poetry professor Karen Head is the first to lay claim to this title. And what I didn't realize is that Georgia Tech and Waffle House are very connected to one another. I guess all of the heads of Waffle House have been Georgia Tech graduates. Who knew? You can read an interview with Karen Head about her poet laureate status. I will put a link to the interview in the show notes. And you can also learn about her favorite Waffle House order. The Center for Fiction has come out with seven shortlisted novels for their Center for Fiction first novel prize, and they include novels such as Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips, Bangkok Wakes to Rain by Pachaya Subindad, and On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. I've heard amazing things about that book, and I will also put a link in the show notes to the entire list there. And now, on to the books. My first pick for the week is titled The Arrangement. This is not the book The Arrangement by Sarah Dunn that came out a few years ago about a couple who makes a pact to try out an open marriage for a year. 
Um, that is a very funny and entertaining book, and I do recommend that one as well. But that is not the arrangement I am going to talk about today. Today's arrangement is by Robin Harding. This book was published back in July of this year, and I would consider it a psychological thriller. This is a great pick for maybe a weekend away, or if you just want a book palette cleanser before diving into something a bit heavier. It is about a 21-year-old art student named Natalie Murphy, who is living in New York, and she's finally escaped her abusive boyfriend that she left behind in Washington State. She was recently fired from her job, and her friend Ava from school has the perfect solution for her. Um, Ava explains that she is what is called a sugar baby, which means that she finds wealthy, successful men online who can financially support her upscale lifestyle. And in return, she sort of negotiates what she's willing to do with these men. But Natalie definitely has some reservations about this. She does not want to sleep with these men. Um, Companionship, she thinks, is fine. Um, And her friend Ava explains that Natalie really has full control over the situation. She can just negotiate what she is willing to do and what she's not willing to do. So Natalie posts her profile on a sugar daddy website and makes a first date with a very handsome and charming 55-year-old lawyer named Gabe. Gabe explains to Nat that he's divorced and he sets up a very lucrative arrangement for Natalie with a generous monthly stipend. And Natalie definitely starts falling for him and relying on him more than financially. So this is a psychological thriller, I would say. And it's also about power and what happens when there's a power imbalance in a relationship. And again, this is The Arrangement by Robin Harding. So before I get to my next pick, I just have to say this has, for some reason, been the year of the rabbit for me. You'd think it was the year of the chicken, but no, no. When it comes to books, it's been the year of the rabbit. I read Watership Down earlier this year, and if you haven't read that, I highly recommend it. Um, And then there was the Netflix series of Watership Down with Olivia Coleman, who's always amazing. And then I read that book, I talked about it on a previous episode called Bunny by Mona Awad. And now I just finished reading my third book that has rabbits on the cover, and that is called Rabbits for Food by Binny Kirschenbaum. This is an indie press. It was put out by Soho Press back in May of this year. The first half of the novel chronicles whether or not the main character should go to a New Year's Eve party with her husband. And the reason why this is such a weighty issue is because she's been suffering from a severe depression and she's not sure if she'll be up to even just taking a simple shower, let alone socializing with people that she doesn't really like. And her husband is also understandably worried that she'll make a scene because she has been known to make some scenes. So of course she does end up 
going to the New Year's Eve party. And predictably, she does end up making a huge scene, which comes before essentially a nervous breakdown. The second half of the novel, there's a bit of a shift and it deals with her stay in a mental hospital um, after her breakdown. And there's a lot of back and forth. She's going through memories of her time before coming to the hospital and revisiting different moments in her life that were pivotal. This book is so well written. It's not huge on plot. I've essentially told you what happens, but it's the way that it unfolds that's incredible and heartbreaking. I think she writes such keen observations about life and really describes what being in a state of depression is like and why you can't just talk someone out of being in a depressed state. You also gain a real understanding of what spouses and partners of people suffering with depression have to deal with. Her depression in the novel really folds inward and keeps everyone at bay. And she's truly convinced that people don't like her. And some people do fear her, and they sort of should, because she kind of makes a scene everywhere. Um, But other people just dread the scene that she inevitably is going to cause. The main character definitely has some unlikable qualities to her. So if you are someone who is turned off by an unlikable narrator, then this book is not for you. And the one read-alike that I could think of while reading this was, of course, The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. And again, that is Rabbits for Food by Binnie Kirschenbaum. My next pick is a nonfiction book that came out in June of this year, and it is called I Like to Watch Arguing My Way Through the TV Revolution by Emily Nussbaum. Emily Nussbaum, you might recognize that name if you are a fan of the New Yorker magazine. She is the TV critic or one of the TV critics who writes for the New Yorker. And she is a huge TV fan. And she makes me feel good about watching TV. And I think this is the first book that I've talked about on this show that I actually have not yet read cover to cover. And I want to talk about it because what I have read has been so fun and well-written, but I haven't read the entire book because I don't want to read chapters on TV shows that I haven't yet seen. One thing I really like about Nussbaum's writing is her unabashed appreciation of high to low brow pop culture when it comes to TV. And I feel very similarly about my approach to reading books because I really do read everything and I don't ever want to be bound by any sort of book hierarchy or book snobbery. So I feel like Nussbaum kind of dismantles the notion of the guilty pleasure television watching. And I think that books very similarly to TV can do so many things. They can elevate, they can educate, they can illuminate, and also they can just be entertaining. And that is okay. I Like to Watch is a collection of Nussbaum's criticism from The New Yorker from 2007 to the present. There is definitely so much TV out there to choose from. One of my favorite essays in the book was her piece on Sex in the City, where she basically defends Carrie Bradshaw as the first female antihero on television. 
And she challenges, and here I'm quoting, the assumption that anything stylized or formulaic or pleasurable or funny or feminine or explicit about sex rather than about violence or made collaboratively must be inferior. And she definitely proves this thesis statement. I am very happy to be following her in The New Yorker. There's always going to be more TV to talk about, and I look forward to her future articles about TV. I'd really like her to write an article about Harlots, which was my summer favorite show. Again, that's I Like to Watch, Arguing My Way Through the TV Revolution by Emily Nussbaum. My next book is The Need by Helen Phillips, and this was published this year in July. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I have yet to read a Helen Phillips book that I haven't loved. She is just one of my favorite authors. And I think I've pretty much set myself up for failure here because I go into reading her books with such high expectations, but I am never disappointed. Her books are definitely odd and strange. And this one was even a little bit creepy. So this book starts with the mother of two in her home. She has a baby and a toddler, and her husband is out of town on business, and she feels like she is hearing footsteps in the house. So she's totally creeped out. I know that feeling of being home alone, and you sort of hear a weird noise, or the house creaks, and you make up a story in your head that there is an intruder. So as we read alongside this mother, we wonder, is she just being a paranoid mother of young children, or is she overtired, or is there really someone in the house? And out in the real world, the main character, the mother, Molly, is a paleobotanist. She is a scholar who specializes in plant fossils, and she is working in the bottom of a huge excavation pit and... She keeps finding these really random things. And one of the things that she discovers is a Bible with a very important misprint that I will not spoil here. She calls her husband and says she thinks she's hearing footsteps and that someone's in the house. And he assures her over the phone that she's just tired. She should rest. And so we believe him. That is until we realize that there is in fact an actual intruder in the house. And that is where this novel takes off into a speculative fiction festival. Um, I won't spoil anything about who the intruder is or what they want because it's just so wrapped up in the Helen Phillipness of this novel. Um, it's definitely speculative, definitely suspense, sci-fi and horror, but all of those things are in pretty small doses. And for me, she really touched on how a small moment of parenting really can contain all of the horrors and fears of the world. Parenting is not for the meek. Again, that is the need. And the author is Helen Phillips. We are already at my last pick for the day. I feel like this is going by very quickly today, or I'm just highly caffeinated and talking very quickly. My last book is for a younger audience, although adults can enjoy it as well. And it is called Guts by Raina Telgemeier. And this was very recently published on September 17th of this year. So my kids have both been longtime fans of Telgemeier's work. She is a graphic novelist and 
She has written uh, two memoirs, Smile and Sisters, and also some fictitious graphic novels. Um, Her two most famous are Drama and Ghosts, and actually Guts is her third memoir. And this one hits pretty close to home, so we definitely have the anxiety gene in my family, although I feel like with the current state of the world, everyone is running pretty much anxious. So anyways, we are very happy to have Raina to help normalize all of this for our children. What I learned recently was that over the last decade, cases of anxiety disorders in young people have increased by 20% or more. And recently at my fifth graders parent teacher conference, his teachers mentioned that essentially one third of the class is struggling from some sort of anxiety disorder. But to the kids who are experiencing the anxiety, they definitely feel alone in their struggle, which is why I think books like this are so helpful for kids to read. In Guts, Raina Telgemeier captures exactly what a panic attack is like. And I can safely say, as someone who has experienced a panic attack in the past, she really does this so perfectly. In this story, a series of events uh, propels Raina, who is in fourth grade, into a full-blown anxiety disorder, and that begins to take over her life. The main character's phobia is emetophobia, which is the pathological fear of vomiting. But then she has all these sort of secondary anxieties that come after the first, like her phobia of germs, and she has some fears around food, and she has stage fright. What's so remarkable about this book is that it's just told so straight on. There is no beating around the bush or trying to sugarcoat anything. She's not there to solve any sort of problem for kids, but I think that letting kids know that they're not alone, um, she's given them a huge gift. Chances are that if your own children are not suffering from anxiety, one of their friends probably is. So maybe this book could serve as a way to start a conversation. And again, that is Guts by Raina Telgemeier. And that is it. As always, all of the books are listed in the show notes section of the podcast, or you can visit booksaremypeople.com. If you like what you hear, please take a moment and rate the show on iTunes so other listeners can find me. I'll be back in 14 days, and I hope in the meantime you all have a wonderfully bookish week.